It's another edition of the Monday Morning Morons, and it's been a couple weeks, but life gets in the way sometimes. But here we are. It's Will Stryline and Curtis Podolecki joining me from out in BC. Thank you for joining me again, sir. Hey, no problem. I tell you, it's uh, it's been more than a couple weeks if you really want to look at a calendar. It's been over a month, but you know we're both busy with other life commitments, and now we're getting back down to the uh, the real reality of things and talking CFL football, which is what we primarily do best, I would like to say. Uh, I, I do believe we do a good job of that. And I don't, and just to follow up on our time off, and I know it's been just about a month since this happened, but I, I still will uh, blame my in-laws for uh, make, helping this delay be as long as it was. You know, <laughs> they they kind of really put a wrench in it. We, were, we had some good momentum after our first show, and you know, then I had to house them for a week. So I, I swear they put they come the, and visit? the blame on them for wanting to come out to the Okanagan and you know be a tourist. Like, who does that? Yeah, do it in February like real people do, a.k.a. Yeah. this guy. Well, yeah, you, you had it right. You know, come out here watch the Super Bowl. Like, why not? We also had the Scotties out there at that time. It was a pretty pretty good week that just happened to be at the end of my vacation. Wonderful times. It sure was. Speaking of guys who have been on the move lately, uh, Deron Carter uh, gets the boot out of Saskatchewan. And I think this kind of came as a surprise to most people because here he is. He'd been arguably the most dynamic receiver in the league over the last two seasons playing some defensive back late last year, takes on that role almost on a full-time basis due to injuries in Saskatchewan this year, gets one opportunity, one game to play offense again, and all of a sudden he's being shown the door by Chris Jones. And to me, the fact that he hadn't really gotten a chance to play on offense, this has to come down to the character of the player, does it not? Like, we know that he's got this big personality but who did he piss off that he didn't actually get the chance to play offense for Saskatchewan this year? It's mind-boggling, really, uh, to let a guy of that talent, proven talent, there's no doubt about that, the way he's played the last couple seasons uh, for the Riders. What gets me is the timing correlates very well with how CFL contracts and finances work as well. You know, come Labor Day weekend, you know, the contract, you have to pay it out in full as opposed to cutting him before that and then you just got to pay up until what you paid them uh, up until that week so I think that does play a part because the riders as an organization have shown for many years they love to live right at the top of the salary cap and anybody who really pays attention know they live above the salary cap and they get a little bit of a special treatment because they are the riders um, so I think that helped into that decision a bit but at the end of the day quality players don't get let go like this for no reason and for not a salary reason you know, everybody knows the salary issues in the CFL. This definitely has to be a character issue. The interesting thing about it then, how he goes to Toronto, and you've already got a pretty big name playing receiver in SJ Green, and his years in Montreal proved that. Last year, coming back off that knee injury, people doubting him, and here he is, puts up a 1,000 yards for Toronto. Now you kind of have this really dynamic one-two threat and a rookie quarterback, really, in Bethel McLeod-Thompson, do you think that he actually has the ability now to put his ego in check? And I'm speaking of Duran, of course, to put his ego in check if he's not getting the football thrown to him by the new guy behind center as Toronto really is just starting to find a groove right now. If he's a bad character guy, do you want him on your team right now? Because you're finally getting some success, which you had issues with after Ricky Ray went down. Here's the guy who's gotten you, you know, 296 yards this week, another 280 yards a week before 300 in his first week out. Do you mess with that? 
Can S.J. Green be happy with Deron Carter on the other side of the field? Can Deron Carter be happy with S.J. Green on the other side of the field? Well, if there's one thing I know that the Toronto Argonauts do as an organization more than any other is that they got a chance to bring in a name that a fan base may have heard of before, they will do it. If they got a chance to bring in someone that might sell five more tickets, they'll do it. Why? Because they can't get anybody to go to their games anyways. You know, they've been one of the most successful winning franchises in the CFL in the last uh, decades, really. And they, they can barely get, I'm going to say, eight to 10,000 people to a game. You know, they might tell me a bigger number, but I don't think that's accurate whatsoever. Uh, so I think character issues aside, from a management perspective, they're trying to find how do we get people into the seats because it's an absolute joke seeing the Argonauts play in that stadium the way it is right now. Despite the lure that... Ron Carter brings, and he's probably one of the most active players in the CFL in terms of social media engagement. Do you think that's enough to sell, you know, five, six, seven more tickets? It's not like the people in Toronto haven't ever seen him play before. I really don't know. You know what? They they constantly take risks in Toronto to sell more tickets. And I and that's to me is the main, I guess, motion behind this move through my perspective, is it's for nothing more than to sell more tickets. They were competing with the lineup they have. By all accounts, with a Mark Tressman led team, he runs a real tight ship. You know, he's one of the most respected coaches in the league. And when you look at him running a team, this move doesn't make a lot of sense. When I look at it from a management perspective, it makes a ton of sense because they're they're focusing on trying to get people into the seats. They're not worried about that's the coach's job to make him function with the team. Uh, they need more people in the seats because. It's a problem that's getting worse. It's not getting any better in Toronto with their attendance issues. And to me, it's going to get to the point where they're going to be playing in front of, you know, hundreds of people soon the way it's going. Yeah, marketability in Toronto hasn't been very good for them, especially with how big MLS has gotten and TFC winning a championship. And they've got the Raptors, who now have arguably one of the top three players in the NBA. They're in a battle that they can't win. They are small potatoes in the Toronto sports scene, and BMO Field is an issue all its own, and just related to the way the field is set up. And it was, you know, they made whatever they could to fit a football team on it, and it's awful. And we've seen the changes on the field create havoc in certain plays. I guess in that regard, it does make sense that you bring in Duran Carter, but you know, you mentioned the likes of Mark Tressman. Really, to me, the only other coach that might be better at taming Duran Carter and getting the most out of him might be the likes of Wally Buono. Because, like you say, Trestman is this coach who is well-respected throughout the league, and really in most of the teams that you've ever seen him associated with, and this even includes his time down with the Chicago Bears, have you really ever heard of a disciplinary issue or some kind of issue of that regards coming out of Mark Trestman football team? And the answer is no. It's true. I don't think this is a move... That probably was the first thought that Mark Tressman would have had when Deron Carter became a free agent. With that being said, I do think he makes the Argonauts a better team, at least offensively. I highly doubt they're going to try him on defense. I certainly hope they don't play him on defense. Yeah, well, you never know, right? Uh, if anything, I'd throw him as a special teams returner because it wouldn't shock me if he started in that role with the Argonauts, uh, I'm assuming, this week. Why would you bring him in to have him not play Labor Day weekend? But my guess is he will suit up this week for the Argonauts. It's the CFL offenses aren't too complicated, I don't believe, you know, unless you're a La Police run offense. Most offenses seem pretty simple to pick up. So I, I, I do think Carter will play for the Argos this week, and I do think he might start as a returner, and then they kind of work him in 
to certain packages that, that he can practice this week. And I do think he would make them a better team. But at the end of the day, that wasn't the main point we were talking. It was it was the character part of it. And he clearly uh, rubs some people the wrong way in Saskatchewan. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in Toronto. And by all accounts, I don't predict it ending well because it's twice it's happened. And typically, if it happens this consistently, there's not some magic fix to improve it. So I do think he's going to run a pretty short time in Toronto, but... You know, being in that East Division, you know what? Half a season playing, uh, improving a team is what they just might need. This is true, and it's interesting that Chris Jones lets him go. Was Chris Jones is arguably the biggest supporter of Deron Carter and the talents that he brings onto the field. You don't bring that guy in and then have him say, hey, we're out of cornerbacks, can you try play defense? And give him the opportunity to do that if you don't trust what the guy can do on the field. He's so polarizing in the fact, though, that Okay, so he might be bad in the locker room, and at this point you have to arguably say that he is because he's now been really shown the door by two teams, and it's only a matter of time before he's shown the door by the league if it keeps up. But then you look on things he's done on social media, and he goes and you know invites everybody in the area. If they come down to a theater at the, a certain time, he's going to pay for their movies, and then he goes and does it. So he connects well with the fan base and engages them, at least in certain aspects. So... Maybe there is that opportunity with the right guidance of Mark Tressman. He cleans up his act, focuses on the football when he's on the field, and who knows, he may be what gives the Toronto Argonauts that opportunity again to win the East. It's it's very possible, you know, and all we can do at this point is see how it plays out. You know, it's it's been proven that it's been a pretty short term no matter where he's been, but, you know, at this point... It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, it, uh, I'd like to think all the best for him because his interaction with the fans and you know and how he gets the spotlight on the CFL is is really not matched by any other player in the league. So one can really hope that he kind of turns a new page here and can improve on his his actions and you know what uh, maybe even provide a little bit more fan interaction, especially with uh, you know how they're trying to loosen up certain rules in the CFL to you know, try to attract fans such as, you know, uh, just recently with their touchdown celebrations. Took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> so I, I like this. And I think I like this because when I was growing up watching Winnipeg, they had Siegel, they had Robert Gordon, they had Arlen Bruce. They had the dances. Every time they scored a touchdown, that receiving core had some kind of dance or jig. And it was awesome to see. And I actually remember a couple of years ago, uh, Hamilton, getting penalized when they jumped into a boat that was in the end zone at Canadian Stadium. The entertainment factor of touchdown celebrations is wonderful. Calgary a few years ago uh, doing, you know, like the Olympic sports, I think they did a luge, they did a cycling, and they did a baton handoff. And it's just so fun, and it's on replays everywhere because it's just so entertaining. I am super pumped that the CFL has loosened up these rules and is allowing props to be used, and I'll, I'll air quote the props, because they can't be premeditated. You can't stash them somewhere to bring them out. But if you run into the end zone and steal something from a fan, then it's basically fair game. Yeah, and I totally agree with it too. Anybody that I've seen that's disagreed with it, generally speaking, is probably over the age of 40, maybe even 50 to be more accurate. And as we've discussed in the past, the CFL is not trying to gain any more fans in that age demographic. That's not where they're trying to improve their fan base. And like it or not, fringe fans and young fans enjoy seeing the touchdown celebrations. Those are the things that make the highlights. Those are the things that you see on the videos on social media. 
and stuff that grabs people's attention. And for anybody or any player that doesn't like it, it's it's pretty simple from a player standpoint. If you don't like it, don't let them score. It can't be any more simple than that, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> a lot easier said than done. Come on now. But you know, I've heard many people that say they don't like it. They don't like it. Oh, it's this is stupid. You know, it's just this whole negativity around it, and it's like you know what? Just because you don't like it, and you've been watching the CFL for 30 years, and it's never been this way, and you know, it's not the football I like to watch. It's like, well, then don't watch a team after they score a touchdown. Like The CFL used to allow their fans to literally stand on the sidelines and steal footballs in the Grey Cubs. So just because it's always been done doesn't mean it's always a good mm-hmm. idea. Here's my concern with the new rules on touchdown celebrations. They really haven't laid the foundation, other than what was already in the rules, of what makes it an excessive celebration. So what will be interesting now is... Now that we have this new, yes, props can be used. You have, you've kind of told players that we are loosening up the celebrations, have some fun and bring entertainment to the game because it needs to happen. What players are going to push the line? The likes of Deron Carter are going to push that line. So where does it go? And how do we now find that ground of where we are right now or where we, where we were last week to where we are now? And where's that middle ground of where the CFL actually wants this to be? That's the concern I have because you're still going to get penalties for these excessive celebrations if we don't actually come up with a foundation of now it's excessive. Is it a timing thing? Is it the amount of props? Like, are you allowed to go running up and find a fan to steal a prop to do the celebration and take that time away from it? Or does it have to be this, you know, snap of the finger immediate thing? Well, you know, eventually somebody is going to push it too far and it's going to be trial and error. And until somebody gets flagged for pushing it too far, it's going to keep going and escalating and escalating. And what I hope more than anything not to see is in certain games, you know, people celebrating maybe when they really shouldn't be. Turning what should be a decent football game into a comedy act out there where maybe a team's up by a bunch or down by a bunch. And it's, it's not so much a touchdown celebration as it is embarrassing the other your opponent you know, and I don't want it to turn into something like that. You know, if you're up by 30 points in the fourth quarter, I sure hope people don't push the envelope then and go, you know, let's let's really stick it to our opponent and dance around in the end zone kind of thing. But that, that's my biggest worry about it. That's a very interesting point. And I, I've said it before in watching NFL games, it seems like every single defensive lineman or defensive back has a celebration move for when they get a sack or an interception or cause a fumble or lay a big hit. They all do this celebration move. I'm like, if you're down by 30 points, shut up and get back in your huddle. Nobody cares that you sacked the quarterback for the first time in the game. Exactly. But everybody has that celebration move. So I I actually really like that point. Yeah, I just, there's certain times of the game that don't necessarily require, even though it's still within the rules to do. You know, it's it's just not in good nature. You know, because all you're going to do is essentially you know piss off the other team or kind of make it into a make it into a little bit of a comedy show out there and the cfl doesn't need to look like a comedy act out there you know there's got to be some level of professionalism and as much as i do enjoy some looser rules on celebrations i I sure hope that it kind of gets enforced a little bit in maybe certain situations like that where the score could be a little bit more separated sticking with that notion i kind of go back to what i bring up and that's What concerns me is what 
excessive celebrations will be. The CFL hasn't really said how far they're willing to go with this new rule. So hopefully between now and the end of the season, we really get that foundation so that it doesn't really affect things come playoff time. And I, it's nice that we kind of have that half season for players to kind of figure out where that line mm-hmm. is and how far they can push it. Yeah, I agree. Concerning a little bit is that it seems to me that the commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, and the league board of directors is kind of doing things on a reactionary basis. Because this comes into play now where there's two different celebrations that included props within the last two weeks. One got penalized, one didn't. Okay, so it comes back to the same situation where we had last year where they started changing the replay rules, saying, okay, you only have so many challenges now because we're getting too many searching replays for, well, that happened over there, even though it was irrelevant to the play kind of things. It seems kind of reactionary where this is something that didn't need to be done during the season, and they could have put more thought into it come the offseason and instituted it next year. Yeah, it, it can come across as a little bit juvenile to just get up and be like, oh no, we've had two bad instances, so it's week seven of the season, let's just make the real change now because I don't want to wait. And maybe not fully educate yourself on maybe the proper way to install this type of rule. So now we we literally, as you said, for half a season, going to have to watch, and it's just going to kind of be a test, right? You know, where's the limit and... You know, what, what's allowed, what's not. So we have to find out through regular season games and, and hopefully a team doesn't, you know, lose a field position battle late in the fourth quarter because all of a sudden a, a, t- a celebration is deemed too much and gets flagged on it or something like that. So we're kind of left wondering what, what the rule really is and it's up to the players on the field to figure it out as well as the referees on what it is as the season's going on. And nobody's really had enough time to understand it and I agree. Uh, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the change on the challenges because I, I, I blame the coaches on that one because the coaches kind of went out of their way to kind of make a mockery of it. If you give a professional coach an opportunity to yeah. bend the rules in their favor, they you are know, always I, going I, to I still think that they should be awarded a second challenge if you win your first. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Unfortunately, with the I'll be nice to say the, with the quality of the officiating we have in the CFL, uh, I do think if you challenge once and get it right, you should get a second one, but that's that's just me. I, I totally disagree with the way it's laid out right now. I would have rather left them at two challenges each and streamlined what you could challenge instead of just saying you get one challenge no matter what. That kind of comes down to the reactionary aspect of everything. Here's a team that is hoping they can celebrate in the end zone, the Winnipeg Blue <laughs> Bombers. What has happened in the last oh. two weeks? We were kind of chatting before we turn on the mics here. You said it pretty well. When they're good, they're good. When they're not good, they are bad. Yeah, there's no middle ground with this team, and uh, maybe we're a little bit more critical of the Bombers since we're both fortunately, or unfortunately, however you want to put it, Bomber fans. You know, I do think we, we have a different eye watching this team than maybe most others that watch the CFL. We, we will be a little bit more critical of them, I think, than most other teams. And I think that's fair. I think most people, if they're back in a certain team, look at them differently than a fan from another team would look at them. But if you've watched this team over the last few weeks, and even most of the season, to be honest, just your simple eye test, not looking at stats, but you just watch this team, especially in the last few weeks, there's just there's something not clicking with this team. And it's not just one side of the football either. 
You know, there, there's no consistency to the point where the fan base, which has been going on 20 plus years now without a championship in a nine-team league, they're, I'll be honest, and, and I think I'm going to say, but we're sick and tired of watching teams that we're told have promise and are consistently inconsistent. And according to everybody from management down, it's everything's okay still. And I think on one respect, the, the fan base is overreacting because it's only been a few games. But at the same time, it's one of those things that the heart gets involved as a fan. And, you know, it's been almost 30 years of this. I'm sick and tired of it. Let's try something new. Well, what's interesting about that from a fan perspective is there was a running joke there for years that the favorite player in Winnipeg was the backup quarterback. Still is. <laughs> How many times have you gone to a game and your team chant for backup quarterback? You see, you see Matt Favorite Nichols hockey take... players, the backup goalie too. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's really, it's how it works in Winnipeg when it comes to uh, team sports. I'm going to argue that this year, the favorite player on the, on the Jets was not the backup goaltender, but it's, it's a topic for a different podcast. Let a legal curve handle that one. What's interesting about it is now Nichols takes a shot, clearly affecting his throwing arm. Game's out of hand. Chris Strebler comes in, rookie. Yeah, he started a few games start the year because Nichols was down. Rookie comes in, moves the ball for a couple plays, and then Nichols goes back out. Well, the game's 30 points out of hand. So the crowd starts to boo. Okay, now are you booing the fact that Nichols is coming back on the field and you don't like how he's been playing? Or are you booing the head coach for putting your quarterback back in harm's way? And let's face it, the quarterback since Kahari Jones that has given Winnipeg the best opportunity to win a great cup is Matt Nichols. Well, I'll tell you right now, I would say you're correct with Nichols. Uh, Kevin Glenn is pretty close. <laughs> Should have won one. I guess but, he had a couple. Uh, years. You know, that's what, when you, when you forget how to hand the ball off at the two yard line, you know, bad things happen. But to go back to Matt Nichols, he's been the best thing a quarterback this, this organization has seen in quite some time. And to rag on him for a couple games of maybe we'll call it mediocre performance, which, and it's just not him that's played that way. It, it goes all the way from the top from the offensive coordinator down. Their, their scheme in the last few weeks has not been great. And Matt Nichols himself hasn't been very good either. But I think it's been consistent from everybody on the offensive side of the ball. They just haven't been that good. It dares beg the question, is Matt Nichols healthy? Because we all know he hurt his knee on a non-contact play in the preseason. He hasn't quite had that touch on the football we saw last year. It doesn't seem like he's got the same step, that same pep in his step when he's releasing the football. I'm not convinced that Matt Nichols is healthy, and if he is, he isn't still quite 100% in sync with the system because he lost that time early on in the season. And I think it's just starting to catch up as every team is getting better Maybe Winnipeg has their progression stopped. They've hit that plateau. And you talk about the scheming. You know, we haven't seen Nick Dembski in the last couple of weeks. He had a career day three weeks ago. Kenbrell Tompkins is now in in place of Darius Bowman, who wasn't doing anything and arguably isn't hasn't changed the dynamic of the offense. So is it just a matter of Winnipeg's hit that plateau right now and they need to find a way for the to get over that hump? Or is it right now? You know, Matt Nichols isn't healthy. He's not there yet. Do you go the other way? Do you take the pressure off of him for a game or for a half if you're down? When do you strike that balance and try to right the ship? It's it's tough to say with this organization. The best thing I think that can happen for him right now is the fact that they're playing a couple road games in a row. 
Otherwise, was Labor Day in Saskatchewan know, a fun game to play? Well, it's not a fun game to play, but uh, I can tell them one thing. Uh, uh, playing Saskatchewan and Winnipeg this week wouldn't do very well. Uh, that fan base is, is, is not in a good place right now. And I, I've been to a lot of games. I've been with that fan base many years. Uh, they were 100% booing Matt Nichols coming onto the field. They weren't booing the coach. They were booing him. They didn't want to see him on the field. Why? Their favorite guy in the world, Chris Strebler, their backup quarterback, was in the game. And they were booing Matt Nichols. They were booing him, 100%. That fan base doesn't have the uh, ability to boo the head coach in that situation. They don't. They don't. They're, they're booing the quarterback. They're a little too emotional and and right or wrong. Uh, I don't think he's shown enough to the fan base this year, injured, not injured, whatever it is. We're sick and tired of mediocre quarterback play, and there was no need for him to come back in the game, regardless of injury or not, with the scoreline the way it was. And, you know, I'd rather they give their backup quarterback better time to practice and situations like that. See, the interesting thing now is Matt Nichols is really kind of setting him. He didn't handle the situation with the media well after that loss saying that it was hard on him to go back out there hearing the boos, how he gives everything to this team, and, you know, that's the treatment he gets from fans. So not only are the fans upset with you to begin with, in your eyes anyway, I I choose to believe that there is more a, a booing of the fact that why is this guy coming back in? Why, why are we not playing the backup quarterback? That's what I think the reactionary thought was of the fan base. But he comes out. And he says, it's hard. it was hard on me tonight to hear that. And for the first time since he's been in Winnipeg, really kind of chastised himself from the fan base. It's refreshing in a sense that you see a player kind of break that mold of the standard answer when he's being interviewed. But he didn't really go about it the right way. He tries to play it off this week, saying, oh, it was taken out of proportions. Media's just making a story because they have to. Goes out, has another bad week. And now he says, well, I'm not finding any receivers open. I'm going through four or five reads. And he's really not setting himself up to get the support of the fan base back, especially if he's not going to win his football games. No, he's not. And to be perfectly honest, the fan base is one more mediocre performance at home away from chanting for the backup quarterback, in my opinion. They're they're almost done with him, and then it's not really just. I don't think it's fair. Uh, I'm like everyone else, I want to see this team win, and I do think this season 100% Matt Nichols gives this team the best chance to win. But once you get that uh, large crowd mentality going in that football stadium in, in Winnipeg there, it, it can get just about anything can get out of hand pretty fast there. You know, Especially their next home game being the Banjo Bowl. And if they're coming in after two straight road losses, three losses if you include the Ottawa one, uh, there's not going to be a lot of happy people, and it's going to be a full building that day too. So you want to put yourself in a bad situation. Uh, Nichols isn't helping himself by essentially pointing the finger at everyone but himself. Nobody oh, wants to write the ship. Labor Day is probably the best place to do it. Yeah, if, biggest if you, week. If you want to biggest week of football in the CFL. If you want to quiet the Winnipeg fan base down, you waltz into uh, Mosaic Stadium on Labor Day and win a football game. And you know what? Put it this way: uh, everything that's happened. In the last few weeks, completely 100% disappears. If you roll into Mosaic and win on Labor Day as a bomber, you know, they, they can almost build statues for how many quarterbacks win games there on Labor Day. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. It doesn't. We've we've been through enough of those. I don't think squeaking out a 13-12 win against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders Labor Day 
is good enough for Matt Nichols to quiet the fan base. If he wants to quiet this fan base and get them back behind him, he goes into Labor Day and he puts 40 points on the board and they beat the ever-living snot out of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. That's all Matt Nichols can do to really get the fan base back behind him. And then he can go into the media and say whatever he wants because it's probably going to be this here's our hero again in Winnipeg because it's hot and cold right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hey, I'm I'm all for that. If if uh, he wants to waltz into Mosaic and put a forty up on the riders, uh, let's do it. Sign me up. You know what? If you can guarantee that, I think I'll get in my car on Friday and drive out and watch the game myself. I don't think that would happen. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm still picking the riders in my pick 'em for four points this week. It's about as big as big a lock as you find all it's, season on the schedule. It's pretty so. big lock. The riders always find a way to get to a different level on Labor Day. Speaking of Labor Day, the next time that we bring you the Monday morning morons will be Labor Day Monday. And we'll be probably recapping at least two of the games, depending if we actually bring you the next podcast as the following games are taking place on Monday. We'll get to tell you how good the riders did against the Bombers. Cause I, I think they'll do very well this weekend against the Bombers. I also think Calgary will do really good against Edmonton, but that is a topic for next Monday. And I, before we leave, I do want to send out one congratulatory note. Joe Montford, got inducted into the Ring of Honor in Hamilton this week. Sure did. I hope they put those shoulder pads on his bust. <laughs> At least on, a, on behind his name on the Ring of Honor. He was uh, he was a special guy out there. He was I hated watching him. A very fun and unique player to watch growing up, and congratulations then to Joe Monford and the Hamilton fan base who got to enjoy his professional career in the CFL. Yeah, well, uh, a special player. There's, there's no way around it. One of the best, if not the best, uh, defensive lineman to play in the league. That is episode two of the Monday Morning Morons with Will Stryline and Curtis Podolecki. We promise we will not take a five-week hiatus between episodes two and episode three, even though it was nice to take a sabbatical before we did any real work. Always is. Have yourselves a great week, and we will talk to you next Monday.